thank you for coming this morning so very much. And I appreciate the comfort of the Holy Spirit that spoke here this morning, his words to us, and what God is doing for us to comfort us during this time. And, you know, you look around, you see what's happening in Texas and Florida and other places. And you need the word of God. You need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so for that, I am so grateful for. One thing about pastoring, as long as I've pastored and gathering illustrations and messages and material, you sort of have to change it over the years. Not that you change the message and the principles of the message, but you have to change it over the years. And I ran across this, I read uh, about 40 years ago, and I don't know if it fits today or not. If it does, you know, 40 years ago, things were not as offensive as maybe people take it today. But let's see what's wrong with Mrs. Craig. What's the matter with Mrs. Craig? Doesn't she ever have company to keep her away from church? Doesn't she ever have headaches, colds, nervous spells, tired feelings, sudden calls out of town, business trips, Sunday picnics, or trouble of any kind? Doesn't she have any friends at all? Friends who invite her to a weekend trip to the seashore or the mountains? Doesn't she ever sleep late on Sunday mornings? Doesn't it ever rain or snow or get too cold or too hot on Sunday morning? Doesn't she ever get her feelings hurt by someone in the church? Doesn't she ever get mad at the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or some member in the church? Or doesn't she have a television program that she can watch to and listen to some mighty good sermons from out of town? What's the matter with Miss Craig? What's the matter with Miss Craig? I'll tell you. She has old-time religion down deep in her heart, and she loves to attend God's house. Then, too, she undoubtedly knows the meaning of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see that day approaching. Now, I'm preaching through the choir or reading through the choir because you're here today. And thank you so much for coming. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure that you get one. And we began by asking you to turn with us to John chapter 6, if you will. I trust that you uh, will use the outline during this week to maybe do some more studying. There is no way that we can get to everything uh, concerning the messages that we preach. And so it's good to study throughout the the week. I started this series back July the 24th. And it is the seven signs that's recorded in the book of St. John, which began with the water to wine, as most of you were here and got to enjoy the blessings of God through the scripture. The second sermon was healing of the son of the official. And then the third was healing of the paralytic and experiencing Jesus' power as God ministered to him. And then we uh, went into what I think is such an important time 
sharing with you uh, John chapter 5 and the importance of uh, our relationship with Christ. And today I'd like to, if you would uh, study with me, look at the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this is the only miracle in the Bible that's recorded by all four of the Gospels. It is the most popular miracle that was performed by Jesus Christ. And notice, if you will, I'll read what I just said again. Apart from the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded by the four Gospels, which shows uh, its significance. And and we're reminded of what C.H. Spurgeon says, that it's in all four Gospels so that we won't forget how much the Lord can do with little things that are yielded to him. The feeding of the 5,000 precedes Jesus' discourse of being the living bread that comes down out of heaven to give his life to the world. And we could find that, or we will find that, in John 6, which we'll be reading from today. But that's recorded in the verses 32 through 58. So it's also a miracle that points to salvation. And we understand that the importance of this particular uh, miracle points to Jesus Christ, the bread of life. If most of you that have heard me talk about this series, you know that there is a message behind the miracle. There's a reason for the miracle. And God has a message behind the miracles in your and my life. The bread of life discourse is found only in John's gospel also. And he, he, he deals with that extensively. Uh, the bread of life, as we look at that, is associated with life, health, nourishment. The bread of life is also associated with, certainly, prosperity. Number one, look at your notes, if you will. People are needy. We need to understand that. We need to think about that. And we need to know that there are needy people. Let's read, if you will, the, uh, the Scripture as we get into this. John 6, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the sea to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons that this is mentioned by John is that to show the enormous crowd that gathered at that particular time. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to who? Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said, Philip said to him, or Christ said to him, to test him. And there are times that we we know that Christ says things or asks us or allows us to go through things 
that uh, he is simply testing us. For he himself knew, I love this verse, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And Philip is saying that we had a, a, a day's earnings. Uh, we, we couldn't buy every one of these. If everyone had it, we couldn't buy but just enough, and that would just provide just a little. One of his disciples, now who was it? Andrew. Andrew was known for bringing people to Jesus Christ. Simon Peter's brother said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. I want you to understand about this bread. If you've ever been to Chili's and got a fajita, you get it wrapped in this little round uh, dough piece and, and you eat it and enjoy that. That's about what he was talking about. He was not talking about a loaf of bread like you and I call a loaf of bread. But he had five barley loaves and two small fish. And this was like canned sardines, small fish that he used. But what are they among so many, Philip says. And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they, what? Much as they wanted. Somebody says he just will supply our need. And we know that is scriptural. And we know that's what he does do. But here we find that Jesus wants to give us as much as we want. Verse 12. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign, said, uh, sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly, and this is a prophetic statement, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak this truth to our hearts. Help us to stay alert. Help us to stay, dear God, uh, open to what you're speaking to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, again, we notice that people are needy. These were, there were about anywhere from, there's somewhere around 12,000. Someone said from 10,000 to 15,000 people because it says there were 5,000 men plus the women and the children. This great number that had gathered there out in this remote place uh, with many needing healing and many needed food. While engaged in ministries of mercy to meet physical needs, our ultimate goal should be to introduce them to none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord. 
So while we believe in healing and we believe it's for us today, our main focus and our main goal is help those who need certainly Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Number two, the Lord's people are inadequate in themselves to meet people's needs. And I think we need to understand that because Jesus asked Philip, he said, can we feed these people or let's feed these people? And Philip said, there's no way. We can't do that. It is impossible for us to feed these people. And we, as God's uh, certainly ministers and God's people, we need to understand anyone that walks in that door or whether we meet any, someone in the grocery store and at the filler station or wherever, we are inadequate to meet their needs. And I believe that's one reason, if we're not careful, that the church, whether it's the pastor, whether it's the Sunday school teacher, or whether it's uh, anyone else that ministers in the church or gives of themselves to reach the needed people and those that are in need, uh, I think that's one reason that we experience burnout. Because often, and I find myself, if I'm not careful doing this in my own flesh, in my own self, and I get frustrated, we need to understand that you and I are inadequate when it comes to reaching out and touching people's needs. Now, what was the easiest solution for these disciples? It was to send them away. Mark six thirty six. if you read this story in the book of Mark, and it's also in chapter 6 of, of, of Mark. They didn't see 5,000 people. The disciples did not. They saw 5,000 problems. And that's the way we get sometimes when we're so tired and so we feel so empty and inadequate we we just began to get frustrated at seeing the needs of people but need to understand it's through and by the power of God and the grace of God that we're able to do that but Jesus said you give them something to eat that's also in the 37th verse of the sixth chapter of the book of Saint Mark you feed them the people that we see every day, the people that we come in contact every day, whether it's a physical need or a spiritual need, he's telling us through and by his power, his strength, his ability, ability you feed them. Now, do you see people like problems? Do you see people that bother you when they ask for something or they have needs? Are you... Uh, willing to reach way down through and by the presence and the spirit and the power of God and touch those, those lives, Jesus is saying to you and I, you feed them. You give them something. And I believe that God has given us the power and God has given us the ability to touch every life we come in contact with. Amen? I believe God wants us to help those that are willing to reach out. I believe that God wants us to help those that are willing to receive help. Now, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we waste our time, our energy on people that don't even want help. That's the reason Jesus was constantly, whether the man was blind or whether it was the man at the pool of Bethesda was impotent, he said, do you want to be healed? Or the blind man, what do you want? He wasn't going to spend his energy on people that didn't want to have help. 
We find a lot of those today. That want. He said, uh, he said, Philip, give them something to eat. Well, Philip, like us, if we're not careful, he started calculating. He looks over, and here sits, here sits let's say, 12,000 people. He starts calculating. He said, let me tell you, a year's earning by all of us couldn't feed all these people. It, it, it would be impossible. And you know, when it comes to working for God or ministering to needs or, or doing something for the Lord, we see the impossibilities. God sees the possibilities. The impossibilities doesn't, it, it, it doesn't come into play when, uh, when it comes to God. But often we use that word impossible. I'm re- reminded of the man that was walking home late, late, late at night, and he took a shortcut and went through the graveyard. Well, there was an open grave. And he fell in that open grave. And it was an extra large grave. It was uh, wide and very deep. And so it was cold that night. So he kept trying to jump and jump and jump and get out of the grave. And he was so tired. So he, he curled up into the corner of the grave and, and, and tried to get warm. But it wasn't long before he heard a thud. And he realized someone else had fell in that grave. And this particular person, they also tried and tried to uh, get out of the grave, the, the grave hole, and they could not. So he stood up and walked over, and he couldn't see. It was so dark, he couldn't see, but he, he reached out, and he touched the guy, and he said, uh, you can't get out, it's impossible. I've been trying for a long time, and he did get out. He, he got out when... That's, that's an old joke. I can tell an old joke and old people laugh and I can tell it and you people look at me like they're looking at the whatever. But, you know, God doesn't look at the impossible. Things are possible if we dare to trust him and believe him. Notice, Philip started calculating. Uh, calculated. He calculated without Christ. He said it would take eight months of salary to feed these people. And it's impossible. Notice number three, Jesus Christ. Now here they are insufficient. Bethel is insufficient. You and I are insufficient. You and I are inadequate when it comes to touching people's lives. But Jesus Christ, can you say amen, is all sufficient to meet people's overwhelming needs. I don't know of a time in my ministry that I have seen so many needs from people. And we need a healthy church. We need an active church. And that was what Michael was telling you a while ago. There is so much that goes on in this church during the week time. We spend days and days praying throughout the week. We spend days and days visiting and ministering. And the youth and the children are so active in this uh, in this church, but there are so many needs. Thank God for a church that can reach out, that has the power and the ability to reach out these to these needs. But it's because Jesus Christ is all sufficient. Notice number one under number three. Nothing is too difficult for God. I seem like I heard that this morning. Nothing is too difficult for God. 
There is, a, there is a verse in Jeremiah in verse 32 and verse 17. Ah, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And Jeremiah goes on to record through the spirit, the leading of the spirit. There is nothing too hard for you. I love that statement. And I'm glad it's a reality. And I trust and hope it's a reality in your and my heart. Jesus simply asks Philip about providing for them. And the word says there, he knew what he was going to do. And so when you and I have a need, when you and I are possibly going to minister to someone... God knows what he's going to do through you to meet the needs of that person. He already knows. But it's my and your responsibility to pray and to trust him. John brings Christ all sufficiency in at least four areas. I want you in four ways. First of all, Christ is in control of every situation. He knew. There is not one problem that you and I have, not one situation, not one circumstance that God doesn't know already what he's going to do to bring us through those areas of our lives. No matter if it's sickness, no matter if it's a spiritual need, a family need, no matter what that need is, a financial need, God Almighty, this makes me rejoice already knows what he is going to do, and he is in control of every situation. Number two, Christ is more concerned for needy people than we are. I've heard people that leave a church, whether it's this one or another church, and I do believe this has happened sometimes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it does not happen. But I hear people say, I... I stopped going to that church because I didn't get my needs met. And then it's the whole idea why we go to church. We don't go to church to get our needs met. We go to church to minister to meet the needs of other people. It is true. Now, don't get me wrong. We're blessed. There is no way you can come to a church like this and not be blessed with the music with the fantastic preaching that goes on, there's no way you can not be blessed. But we don't go just to get our needs met. We go and we live to reach out to touch, or touch other people's lives. So Christ uh, helps us to meet the needs of others. Number three, Christ is not limited by our inadequate resources. Amen. You say, I don't have the ability. I don't have the education. I don't have the finances. I don't have the means of travel. I don't have all of these things. But God Almighty is not limited because we're limited. He takes our inadequacy and makes something great out of it. This building you're sitting in was built in 1997. In 1996, it was all grass where this building is. We had a vision. We were going to build this church building. And so on a certain particular uh, uh, day, we put up a tent out here on the grass and we invited all the 
membership to come. I was so excited about building a sanctuary like this. We met in the fellowship hall from 1991 to 1997, and I was so excited. But I was so disappointed with the people that came out that day to help us build this building. It was one of the lowest days of my life in pastorate. So many did not come, even come out to help us start off this great campaign. And we could have said, oh, God, how are we going to build a sanctuary like this with, with 30, about 30, 35 people? And that's about what came out, about 30 or 35. Of course, we have a, had a church much larger than that. And I just got all down in the mouth, and, and all of a sudden, we began to trust God. All of a sudden, we began to believe the Lord. And we floated a $500,000 financial campaign. It was one of the easiest things we've ever done in this church. 500000 But that left us $160,000. We had $500,000 in bonds. But we needed $160,000. It was one of the easiest things we've ever done was raise $160,000 in cash. Wow. God sent people from Phoenix, Arizona come, to come here to give us $30,000. Strangers. You see, when we think we're inadequate, God comes on the scene by his mighty miracle work and power, and it gets done. Now this building sets here, paid off. Wow. I think that deserves a good clap. Amen. God will provide. The meeting of need is not dependent on the supply in hand, but on the blessing of the Lord resting on that supply. Watch my knee. Isn't that a great statement? Are you looking at your notes? Do you have your notes? The meeting of need is not dependent on the supply in hand, but on the blessing of the Lord resting on that supply. Someone wrote this. A basketball in my hands is worth $21. A basketball in Michael Jordan's hands is worth $33 million. A baseball bat in my hands is worth $28. In Derek Jeter's hands, and these are older people, and maybe some of you don't know these, but this was a great baseball player. In Derek Jeter's hands is worth $21 million. A tennis racket in my hands, I can hit a few balls with it. In Roger Federer's hand, he can win the Wimbledon, which he did. A rod in my hands drives away animals. In Moses' hand, he can part the Red Sea. A slingshot in my hands is a toy. But in David's hands, he can kill a giant. I love this one. This is my favorite. With nails in my hands, I can build a birdhouse. But in the hands of Jesus, he can save the world. We need to take it out of our hands and put it in his hands. With bread in my hands, I can feed a few people. In Jesus' hands, he can feed thousands of people. Take them out of your hands and put it in his hands. Someone says, I don't want to give my $5 or $25. I don't want to pay my tithe. And money is just one thing. Time. 
We don't have enough time, do we? I mean, we just need more time. You know what I believe? I believe when you give Jesus Christ time, he extends your time personally. He said, I don't know how he does that. Well, I don't know how he took five loaves and two fish and fed thousands of people. He just does it. One writer was talking about that, and he said, you know, you, you take wheat, and that's what barley loaves come from. You take wheat, and you sow the seed and out in the big fields, and that grain of wheat produces a lot of grains of wheat. And um, it just grows. And, and you, over time, you could feed 5,000. All Jesus did was just shorten the time. You take a fish in the ocean, well, if that fish produces eggs and has other fish, it just keeps You can feed thousands of people with fish. Just, just, a, just a natural process. What Jesus did, he just took and shrunk it down and performed the miracle. And he can do the very same thing for his people if we dare to be obedient to him. With money in my hands, I can pay bills, buy a few things. In Jesus' hands, he can meet every need. Martin Luther said it this way, I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, I still possess. Hallelujah. Take what we have and certainly put it in his hands. Number four, Christ abundantly supplies all that we want. I said, he wants to supply all you want. Well, he took those 12,000 people and he fed them until the Bible says they ate all they wanted. God provides our needs. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, and my God shall supply. This is one that says need. All your need, all, all, all your need according to first citizens, according to Bank of America, according to IBM where you work at, according to Duke. Didn't say that, did it? He said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. But there's no period there. By Christ Jesus. That's a wow. And then one more verse, Ephesians 3 and 20. Now to him who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Think what God's wanting us to see, that he will supply our need. He will supply your need. Maybe not when you want him to and the way you want him to. But Jesus Christ will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. The Bible says despise not the the days of, of, of little things. Despise not the days of little things. You know how Moses survived the death that the king had placed upon the boys of the Egyptian women? You know how Moses survived that? You know what what saved Moses when he was in that Nile River? You know what saved him? A tear. 
one little tear. Because the Bible says he cried out and Pharaoh's daughter heard him. And so she went and got him and saved him. A little tear. It's amazing what God uses to help us when it comes to ministering. God did that. Someone I, I heard, uh, Spruill, I believe it was, talking about how that they had where the battle of David, and, uh, and it's a true story, how when David fought Goliath in that particular area, they were renovating it and then they were digging up all kinds of bones and everything. They found an oversized skull with a rock in the forehead. And severed from the body. How did David. How did David save Israel? One. Little stone. In its right place. And God saves them. Christ meets the need of people. Through his inadequate people. Who yield their inadequate resources. To him. Now notice what happened here. Stay with me. If somebody next to you is about to go to sleep. Sort of. Nudge him a little bit and wake him up. Here we go. I love this. How did he use? He used Andrew, which somehow went out into the midst of those 12,000 people and found a little boy with five loaves and two fish. I mean, God used Andrew. Then God used, now I don't know if that mother, that boy, said, son, now you're going to be out there in that desert place and you're going to need some food. And I don't know if she took that and, uh, and made him a knapsack or whatever it was, but he had that. So God used Andrew. God used the little boy. And he took all of this <coughs> with their help and fed 5,000 people. Uh, uh, 12,000 people. Christ uses people to meet the the needs of people. (coughs) Excuse me. Christ used people to meet the needs of people. How's Crowsdale going to hear about Jesus Christ? How are the needed, their needs going to be met? You and I. If we're not careful, we want someone else to do it. Christ does that. He used his disciples. He said, have the people to sit down on the grass. They did. He took his disciples. He said, I want you to distribute this among the thousands. He took his disciples, and I believe others, but he used his disciples. You are his disciple. You're his son, daughter. We are his children, and we're to do the work of Jesus Christ. He uses inadequate people. We try to meet others' needs in our own strength. We're trying to feed the multitude with 200 denarii, denarii rather, that we don't have. Philip said we can't do it. And yet the church, listen at me, stay with me, the church, if we're not careful, <coughs> is trying to meet the needs of people when we can't do that. It's only through and by Jesus Christ. Notice now as we finish, we're going to finish with number five. When we turn what we have over to the Jesus, he will meet every need. Number two, he most always, almost always, 
uses people to meet those needs. Whatever we have is enough if we place it in the master's hand. And when we take it and bless it, and we say, Lord, this is you, we're giving it in Jesus' name, and we're using what we have, we're placing it, as I said, in his hands, it will bless others. And really and truly, listen, really and truly, that's what it's all about. We come, we're saved, we're born again, we serve Christ, enjoy his bountiful blessings. But the real truth about it, it's our responsibility to reach out and touch people that are in need. And that's the reason we'll go to the Horton Road place and minister to people and bring them into the church and and minister to them. You know what? It is so wonderful on Wednesday. If you're missing Wednesday night, you're missing a great time. It is so wonderful on Wednesday night to see these people come in and, and the people work so hard in the kitchen to provide meals and food free and, and give it to people that are hungry. It's so wonderful because that's what God has called us to do. Number four, our main need is to accept certainly Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He's called us to do that. The tragedy is that people waste time and money in that which is not bread. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Uh, Waste is an enemy of miraculous generosity. So great care was taken to collect the leftovers. See, we want to be able to minister and keep ministering. How many disciples were there? There were 12. And they took up 12 basketful. Now, if, if you look at the word... Uh, that is used there. The word that is used is we, is, is, we use it for the word coffin. It wasn't just a little old Easter basket. It was a big basket full of leftovers. And, and he, he gave that to them. We're to give to him. The main lesson of the miracle. As Sister Judy comes and plays for me. He's all I need. And then the team comes with her. And Brother Matt, if you will sing that, I believe it was the last song that you sung if you, after we finished this song. Now listen to me. The main lesson of the miracle is that Christ is the bread of life to a dying humanity. I want to care for people. And sometimes I'm not sure I care for people like I should. Because if we're not careful, we just go through the motion. Of all that we do for the Lord. Let me read it again. The main lesson of the miracle is that Christ is the bread of life to a dying humanity. And in him there is enough to satisfy the entire world. I'm not going to give the order call just yet. But let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, I I thank you. That you provide for us enough. To reach out to the hurting. To reach out to the poor. To reach out to the outcast. The drug addict. The alcoholic. The prostitute. Those that are in prison. God, everything we need to bless people, we have it. Through you. And I pray, God, that you would 
help us not to be hard-hearted. Forgive us of our not caring and for being cynical. But may we love people. God, because we know that you're all we need today. And we just, we just believe you. And we pray, God, that you'd help us in Christ's name. Okay, look, look at me just a moment. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. This miracle of feeding the 5,000 ushered in this discourse. That Jesus might tell the disciples and every person that's ever read this and preached this and taught this and lived this. And that's for us to say that he is the living bread that comes down certainly from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now that's what they couldn't understand. And that's one reason they sought to kill him. And to take his life. He said if you eat of this bread. You will live forever. And the bread that I shall give. Is my flesh. Which I shall give for the life. Of the world. Brother Don. I don't understand. What Jesus would say. We've got to eat of his flesh. We now know it's with afterthought. Of the crucifixion. He gave his body. On the cross for my and your sin. And he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. One of the best times that this church spins with these doors open and the lights on. And the air conditioning or the heat running. One of the best times to get in on the good is Friday night. You say, Pastor, what goes on Friday night? That's, that's my special program on television. <laughs> it's prayer night. If I had to say, take away everything but one thing I do in this church. Everything but one thing I do in this church. I'd tell you what that one thing was. It'd be Friday night prayer. I am so blessed I am so refreshed. But one thing we do every Friday night is we partake of the Lord's Supper. And he said, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That, that bread that we eat on Friday night or whenever you take communion is the body of Jesus Christ. It represents the body. And that juice that we drink represents the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it. I would encourage you to enjoy that quite often. The bread that is Jesus gives life to the present and to the eternal. He says, unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. And this bread is what you and I enjoy, the blessings of the Holy Spirit. After this, they took him, or tried to take him, rather, I should say, to be king. 
It was a, it was a power. Can you imagine? Can we comprehend this miracle? Can you imagine taking a handful of food and feeding all those people? And when they saw that, they said, this is the prophet. And then we're going to make him king. If he can do this, he can get us out from under the tyranny of the Romans. If he can do this, we can make him king. And we have whatever we want. He can multiply food and we can have that. The world can't do it. Let me tell you something. The world cannot satisfy the needs of people. Not one thing Washington can do to satisfy people's soul. Not one thing the mayor of this city can do to satisfy people. Not one thing that any pastor in this church can do satisfy people's soul. The subtitle of this sermon, Pizza Hut Doesn't Deliver to the Wilderness. A lot of people trying to eat Pizza Hut food when they can have the living bread. Washington doesn't deliver to the wilderness. Money doesn't deliver to the wilderness. It takes Christ. Us eating and drinking and enjoying the life that he gives us. I don't know about you, but I'm happy for that.